My name is Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Point. And uh, we are in the middle of a series called Kairos. Kairos is uh, the name of, uh, it's a Greek word for uh, a, like a fullness of time, like a, a moment in time. And uh, it's a word that Jesus uses when he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So a Kairos moment is a moment when we when we're, our attention is being, uh, you know, God is getting our attention through something. That, and so I chose this picture for the Kairos logo, and I thought it was a great picture. First of all, it reminds me of summer, like a camping trip. And someone's driving along a road, presumably, and gets out to stand on top of their car to see a star. And I thought that was a great image for what it feels like when God gets our attention. Something's kind of grabbing our attention, maybe out of the corner of our eye. We go, okay, something's happening. And instead of just driving right past it and just kind of blowing by, we choose to stop and we choose to turn our attention and to wonder. And I think this is a great picture that captures that feeling of wonder. What, what is God doing right now? What is God doing in my life? So we're in the middle of this Kairos series, and what, what we're doing is we're paying attention. What is God doing amongst our community? What is he doing in our hearts? And uh, how do we pay attention to that during the summer? Not only are we talking about that, but we're also practicing that in the way that we preach. We're going, okay, what, how is God getting my attention this week? And so uh, for me, there's this scripture uh, from Galatians, Galatians 5.1, that has been getting my attention. And first of all, it's, it's been part of my uh, reading plan, my, my personal devotional life it, that's come up, and I've just been reflecting on this passage. Also, it's just been resonating in my life. I've, I've noticed that this passage uh, has begun to speak into my life in certain areas, and I want to, I want to pay attention to that. But um, also, it happens to be uh, a song that keeps playing uh, on one of my daughter's CDs, that she had like a CD of Bible songs, and it just keeps playing over and over again. So this morning, instead of reading the passage, I thought we could sing it. So I'm going to get a guitar, and I'm going to ask if you guys can learn this song with me, and hopefully we'll get to memorize this together, okay? It's a really short verse, but I'm going to get a guitar and see how this goes. Thank you, Crozier, for letting me borrow your guitar. Okay, here we go. You hear that? Okay. Pete, can you pull up that slide, please? There you go. There you go. Galatians 5 1. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by your yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by your yoke of slavery. Okay, can you guys sing that with me? All right, here we go. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Yeah? Okay. So hopefully you guys go home singing that song because it's a really important passage. Um, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. This coming Thursday, we're celebrating Independence Day. And July 4 is the day, July 4, 1776 is when the United States declared independence from tyranny. And we said, we are going to be a free nation. And uh, that started off a journey for the United States. I've I've been uh, listening to the soundtrack of Hamilton, which uh, has become one of my favorites. And uh, it's a story of Alexander Hamilton and a unique perspective on the beginning of our, our nation. And there's this great song in there where King George jumps in and says, all right, now that you've, now that you've won your freedom, uh, do you know what comes next? Now you've got to lead. You've got the responsibility of leading now. And so the project of freedom for the United States is not something where you just sign it into, you know, you have the Declaration of Independence and it's all done. They had to really fight for it. And we continue to fight for it. We continue to fight for the freedom of all people. It's not something that's, that's done. It's a project of freedom. Because there's a responsibility to lead well and to uphold the freedom of all people. But we can also have a twisted view of freedom, I think. Uh, I was talking with uh, a friend of mine who used to work in a financial uh, organization. He he was working for a company to do financial advising and decided to uh, kind of move on on his own, wanting some freedom for himself. And he was telling me that now he's more swamped than ever that he started working on his own. He's realized that the freedom that he was seeking uh, opens up different responsibilities that he now has. And he's trying to get ahead of it. Like, now do I need to hire more people? And how do I do that? And how do I build some structures? That, and now you begin to have these responsibilities. But for us, you know, we, we tend to have this, this chasing after freedom for ourselves. Okay, if I'm in, maybe you're in school right now, and you're thinking, man, once I get into summer, and then you realize there's chores to be done. Or if you're in college right now and you're thinking, man, once I graduate college, then I'll be free. I'll be able to do the things I want to do and be the person I want to be. And then you get out of college and realize there's a whole other set of responsibilities that you have. Or maybe you're in grad school or maybe you're starting a family and you're thinking, once we get past this infant stage, we'll finally be free. (laughs) Yeah, I hear some laughter. Yes, it's funny. I've told myself that many, many times. Or once I get the kids out of the house, or once I retire, I'll finally be free. And then I've talked to some retired people who, who think retirement's actually, now that they're retired, wow, this does is, this is not feel like retirement. I'm, my, my time is maxed out. I feel like I'm volunteering in all these different spaces and taking care of family. And the, there's an allure of freedom that can sometimes feel like a mirage, something we're constantly chasing. And I think what we're really chasing after is a false view of freedom, a freedom that has nothing to do with responsibility. That's actually a selfish freedom. We want to be released from all our responsibilities, all our ties, all our relationships, and we want, really, we just have this image, maybe, maybe it's not you, maybe it's just me, of just sitting on a beach and no responsibilities and someone just brings me food all day. (laughs) That's just, that's kind of our view of freedom. But it's, it's, uh, it's not a real view of freedom. And it's not the freedom that Christ has set us free for. So let's not misunderstand this passage that Christ has set us free to just be completely free of responsibilities. We have to look at the person of Jesus. 
Jesus, who in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus, who, who though he was, who, because he was very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something that he grasped, but instead he emptied himself and became a servant. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was willing to become a slave. That's the image of freedom that Jesus exemplifies. Um, it says, the scriptures say, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the, the model of freedom that we have to follow. Paul says, um, you know, don't be slaves of sin, be slaves of righteousness. Or as Bob Dylan says, you've got to serve somebody. <laughs> you've got to serve somebody. That we're not created to sit on a beach and be free of responsibilities. Actually, the image of God created in us is the image of service and sacrifice, selflessness, being willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others. So let's not get tied up in this false view of freedom. In fact, Paul, if you uh, go back to chapter 4, he sets up what he means by freedom right before this. He's not talking about just freedom of responsibility. He's saying, okay, when, when you start living by the law, you're actually living uh, according to a whole different set of standards. He, he's, he says, look back at Abraham. Look back at Abraham. Um, look at the promise God made to him. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. I'm making a covenant promise of my love that you did not earn, that you don't deserve, but I'm giving it to you as a free gift. This is my covenant law. And he says, and I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you heirs. I'm going to give you a whole nation of children. And so Abraham uh, seeks to accomplish that by himself. He thinks, well, there must be some important part I need to play in this. I'm going to go ahead and try to make it happen. And so he has a child by way of the slave woman, Hagar. And his child from that woman is the slave child. And then he has, and then God says, no, that's not how I wanted you to do it. I'm going to give you a child by Sarah, the free woman. And he says, and so we are not the children of the slave woman. We are the children of the free woman. And then he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's not saying no responsibilities. He's saying there is freedom within my covenant love. That's what he's saying. He says, I've loved you without you having done anything. And that's what's really freeing. What freedom really is, is to, be know, to know that we are loved no matter what. Beyond anything we could do or accomplish, beyond any of our roles or responsibilities or religions or whatever we do, God loves us. That's what true freedom is. That's the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. True freedom is that we are already loved, accepted, and dignified for who we are not for our accomplishments or our status. We're loved because God chose to love us, and we couldn't earn it. And so Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What did Christ free us from? What is the slavery that Paul is talking about? Paul is talking about the law. He's talking about the law and all of its stipulations. The law wasn't originally a burden. It wasn't meant to be a burden ever. The law started when, uh, when the children of Abraham became slaves in Egypt, and they actually forgot who God was. They forgot about God, and all they knew was slavery. 
and God chose one of those people, Moses. He picked him out, and he said, uh, even when Moses wasn't looking for it, Moses was just happily serving his father-in-law, Jethro, and tending sheep. And Moses was wandering through the desert, and there was a burning bush that caught his attention, much like this person on top of a car. Caught his attention, and he turned aside. And God called him out and said, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. So Moses goes back, and he delivers God's people. God delivers his people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, out from under slavery. And now that they're in the wilderness, the people of God are wondering, how then shall we live? How are we supposed to live in this new freedom lifestyle? Because if you don't tell us, we're going to go back to default mode. We need to know how to live differently. How do we live as free people under God's love? So God gives them the gift of the law. And the Israelites rejoiced. They said, finally, we have some way to, to know how to live under God's, God's love. There's a the law of love. But over generations, in typical human fashion, we forgot. We forgot what the law was for. We forgot that God actually saved God's people before they did anything. That is because of God's unconditional love that he rescued them from slavery, delivered them, and then he gave them the law as a way to walk that out. But instead we reverse it. We begin seeing the law as this is the way that I get into this group of people who are underneath God's love. That if I do certain things, if I check certain boxes, for this passage it's circumcision, but it might be sacrificing right or or, you know, doing the right thing, or whatever it is to be a good Jewish person, if I could just get into that group, then I'll finally experience God's love. And the problem is it's a losing equation. Because if there's something standing before us and and experiencing God's love, if we have to do something, then once we do it, we go, well, maybe it's because of what I did that God loved me. It's like trying to pay somebody for a compliment. Like if I'm feeling really blue one day and I say, well, I, I really need to be lifted up by somebody. Maybe I just need like, some affirmation. So I pay somebody for a compliment. I demand it. And then they give one to me, and I think, well, deep down now I know that that wasn't genuine. So I pay for a bigger compliment and bigger and bigger. And this is what we do when we start living by the law. Start thinking, well, if I just did one thing for God, if I could just do one thing for God, then, then he would maybe give me that feeling that I'm loved. And once I have that feeling that I'm loved, then I'll be fine. But the problem is we do those things, and then we realize deep down we feel like it's not genuine. And so we do more and more and more, and suddenly the box gets smaller and smaller and smaller that we're trying to fit in. It's this constant game, trying to play catch-up, and we'll never win. So today we have spiritual boxes in our community, even in this church. In West Michigan, especially, I go to church. Check. Check that box. I give money to charity. Check. And if I'm not feeling God's love, I double my efforts. Figure I must be doing something wrong. I pray more. I read my Bible more. I listen to more Christian music. I get myself into a mental space where I feel like I've done enough good for God that He must love me. I get obsessed. We're trying to be a good enough person or good enough Christian. Many of us were raised in households like this. Many of us were still raising kids in households like this, where law is valued over love. And it's created a spiritual block where we can't believe that we are lovable apart from what we do, apart from the good things that we do. 
and we can't believe that God loves us just as we are. First, we have to obey the rules or believe a certain thing or pray a certain amount or spend a certain amount of time with a certain kind of person, and it's a losing equation. That's why in Paul, in, in Galatians, Paul is so adamant to say, don't go back to living that way. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery because you're enslaving yourself to something that's going to lead you to death. It's, an, it's a never-ending chase. And Paul says, if you start living by one part of the law, even if you start checking off one little box, even if it's just one little thing, you, begin, you are obligated to uphold the whole thing. It's a never-ending trap where we have to fit in a smaller and smaller spiritual box and we begin to treat others the same way. And we're afraid that if we show unconditional love and acceptance to someone who has, uh, who's not like us, who has a different lifestyle, a different sexual orientation, a different religion or political view, that somehow we are condoning their beliefs or behaviors. And so we withhold our love and acceptance until they change their minds, until they're more like us. And as a church, we become known as the most judgmental people people can think of. We can't allow ourselves to love people we disagree with. We just can't get past it. And this is exactly what was happening in Galatia. Someone had come in after Paul came and began preaching circumcision, which is to say, in order for you to follow Jesus and experience true freedom from Christ, you, you have to be a good Jew. You have to be a good person. You have to check the boxes of following the law that they weren't off the hook. And they fell back into it. They fell back into the law. And Paul was so upset. He said, you people are biting and devouring each other. You're destroying one another. You're unable to love without condition. You're unable to let go of all your laws. And so Paul points the Galatians back to the love of Christ on the cross. If you want to talk about condoning beliefs and action, it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. And yet Jesus didn't just show us a little bit of love. He showed the full extent of our loves, even while we are still sinners, while we are his enemies, while we are living contrary to God's ways. Jesus proclaims on the cross that it's nothing we have done to earn God's love. That before we are ever able to prove our love to God, he declared that we are worthy of the fullest extent of love. And if we start trying to earn our freedom, love, and acceptance, we will never stop. Righteousness through the law is a curse. It's a mirage that we will die trying to get. But Jesus' love frees us from the curse of the law. And Paul says, don't go back there. Don't turn back. Instead, remember that you are loved without condition. And you are a community that inhabits that kind of love for one another. If you live like this, you'll have fulfilled the entire law. Because you're living in the same covenant love that set you free in the first place. So Paul says, stand firm. Keep in step with the Spirit. Um, over the last week, our car has been in the shop. Our AC issue, compressor, pump, something. I don't understand these things. It took him like a week to diagnose it. So we just, we hadn't, we had, we're done one car. And so I was biking a lot more. I was biking to work a little bit and um, just spending more time on my bike. And as I was spending my time on my bike, I was also thinking about this passage 
um, where he says, keep in step with the Spirit. And um, usually when I ride, I'm riding alone. And the faster you try to ride when you're riding, I mean, it's fun riding alone because you can kind of determine your own route and um, go at your own pace. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also harder because you're, you're constantly fighting against the wind. The faster you ride, the more wind resistance you're getting. Um, what's way better is to ride with a group of people. So this is me on a bike ride when I was alone. But this is me on a bike ride with a bunch of other people. You can see that. So what you do when you're riding with a bunch of other people, if you haven't gone, uh, done cycling yet, or maybe you have experience from this from drafting other cars, like tailgating people. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you're riding in the back especially, what you do is you, you put yourself right in behind uh, the last rider, get as close as possible to their back wheel so you're just inches away, which is a little more precarious. But when you're in that spot, there's almost no wind resistance. And you can just fly, especially if you're in a big pack. You can ride like five, maybe sometimes even ten miles an hour faster than you would be able to if you're just riding alone. And I think there's a great image for keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, trying to attain the freedom through the law is like riding alone. The faster you ride, the more resi- wind resistance you get. It's constantly fighting the wind. But, um, but instead, Paul calls us to draft the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. So, so to keep in step with the Spirit, we're, we, we unite ourselves to the Spirit, and we stay in, in line with Him. And yeah, I have to kind of look at His back tire and make sure that I'm not uh, going to bump into whatever. And I can't see the road as well as I could. I can't anticipate what's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not the master of my own destiny anymore, but we can fly. You know, we, can, we can go way faster and way farther than we would be able to by myself. And so Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we keep in step with the Spirit, we let go of the law. We drop out of the rat race. We stop keeping score. We stop policing ourselves and policing others. We allow God's love to lead in every single situation. We're free from the burden of judgment. We don't have to judge others. We bear the fruit of the Spirit. When we keep in step with the Spirit, we experience freedom within covenant relationship. Not because we're all on our own, but because we've united ourselves to Christ through the Holy Spirit. So I want to share just a quick story about how this passage, Galatians 5.1, has played out in my own life uh, this week. Simple example. So I was riding my bike again, uh, and I rode downtown, and I found an outdoor patio, which uh, was totally empty, and I sat down. I was going to uh, pull out a book to read. And I was literally just reaching into my backpack to pull out my book when I hear someone say, can I borrow that chair? And I just reflexively said, of course, no problem. And this guy just sets his drink on my table and sits down in the chair. <laughs> I'm just looking around. There's eight other empty tables on this patio. <laughs> like, okay, uh, I guess I have a new friend. Um, so he just sits down and just, he doesn't say anything. He just sits down and we're just enjoying the weather together. And we strike up a conversation. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, this is a Kairos moment for me. God is obviously getting my attention. I had some other plans. My plans have changed. And, uh, and that's, that's a clear sign. Okay, maybe God is doing something here. So I begin to talk to him about his life. And, and uh, he's asking what I'm doing and I just said, well, today's just uh, what I call Sabbath. It's a day I get to spend time with God, and I get to pray and reflect. 
And uh, it's also my birthday today, and he wished me a happy birthday. And we began to just talk about his life, and I got to hear about his marriage and his kids. And he's just recently retired, and he's, he's uh, using his time to volunteer for the Red Cross uh, and being trained in that so he can respond to emergency situations. And he, uh, he's also using his time to serve at a food bank because they don't have enough help. And he said, I want to start a nonprofit to help the, the hungry and the homeless because um, I want to see those people restored. And uh, I also, I don't want it to be a, a faith-based, um, I don't want it to be a faith-based organization because I, I just don't like it when people just preach it at people. I just want, I just want people to receive the help that they need. And I just found myself struggling a little bit because I had this position of, okay, this isn't a Kairos moment, meaning I need to somehow find an opportunity to convert this person, to get this person to think the way I do, to share Jesus with this person, which, of course, I am ready to do and willing to do and excited to share about the hope of Christ. But I'm also being challenged that I'm starting to really like this guy. I'm starting to learn from this person. He's starting to teach me what service looks like. I mean, we're talking about Jesus laying his life down, and here's this person who's not chasing the dream of, you know, retirement being some relinquishment of all responsibility, but he's willing to use his freedom to serve others. I'm just thinking, wow, what... What a great conversation I get to enter into right now. So the question that I w- left with as I, as I came back home and I was reflecting on this scripture passage, I thought, is it enough that I simply expressed love and friendship towards a stranger who clearly didn't agree with me on everything? Is it enough that I simply expressed love and friendship towards a stranger? Was I able to keep in step with the Spirit? Was I able to live by the law of love that Christ calls me to? Was I able to love him unconditionally, to accept him unconditionally, as someone made in the image of God just like me? In Galatians 5, later in the chapter, Paul has been hammering me with these words that have just been challenging me. He says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Really? If I'm led by the Spirit, am I really not under the law? Then he goes on to list the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So my question for us this morning, what spiritual boxes are you trying to check off? Would God still love you if you didn't do anything for your relationship with him? God still love you. If you weren't trying to be such a good person, would God still love you just as much? What are you chasing that you think will finally give you freedom? Once I fill in the blank, I'll finally experience freedom. How can you receive God's freedom in relationship, unconditional love, right here and right now, before anything else happens, before you get the promotion, before your kids get older, before you graduate high school? Or how can you experience the freedom that Christ has purchased for you right here and right now? in covenant love with God. 
Whose lifestyle worries you? Whose lifestyle worries you? Whose choices worry you? How can you show them unconditional love and risk condoning their behavior or beliefs in doing so? Who's someone that worries you by their lifestyle, by their behaviors? How can you show them 100%, no strings attached, unconditional love this week? I'm going to invite the band up, and we'll just, I'll just reflect on some of these questions together. And most of all, I want to give us space to listen to the Holy Spirit, to ask, how is God getting my attention right now? What's the Kairos moment for me right now? What is God saying to me? And then wonder, God, how can I respond? How can I respond to what you're telling me today? So we're just going to have a a couple of minutes to process that uh, alone together. And then we'll continue in worship.